Amen. Yeah, you can remain standing, um, and I'm going to read our sermon scripture, and as you probably have deduced, it is not from Jonah, which is printed in our bulletin along with that outline. I think we'll be hopefully hearing from Andrew next week to finish things out. So uh, Bruce is going to be preaching from Psalm 50 this morning. So if you could turn to your Bibles or your devices to Psalm 50, and I'll read it for us. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the, perfect, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the angels above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Those things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Amen. Let's pray. Sorry. The word of our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, your living word, the word that became flesh. And Lord, we're grateful to hear from uh, Bruce this morning. And we pray for your spirit's leading of our hearts, that you would illumine our hearts and minds to truly absorb what you have for us today. And we pray that your spirit would provide clarity of mind and, and of communication for Bruce as well as he teaches us. Lord, we pray that we would be blessed by this and we would be spurred on to greater obedience and faithfulness to you. And we're grateful for your amazing faithfulness to us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated.
Christmas presents us with many perplexing problems. Children struggle to get their Christmas list just right. It's, you don't want to ask too much because that might, you know, not pan out, but you don't want to sell it short, right? You want to get it just right, sort of the, the art of the Christmas list. And parents struggle also. How much decoration is just enough? And who do you include on that card list and on the gift list this year? And then there's all those cookies that need to be baked and given away, and who do you give them to, and do you dare include anything that has nuts? And even people like me, who studiously try to dodge every one of these kinds of questions, <laughs> still find ourselves soberly contemplating the, the unavoidable, you know? Is this, is this sweater just a little too tacky after all? And, and uh, is it too early to start watching these bowl games where I wear my family out before the good ones actually come around? And, and how many bowls of oyster stew can I squeeze out of this season? Christmas is filled with perplexing questions like these. But maybe the most vexing of all that we struggle with is what to get the person who already has it all. You know the problem, right? You've got these people in your life, these people on your list, and and you really do desire to give them something. You want to give them something, but they seem like they're impossible to buy anything for that would really benefit them, that would enrich them, that would help them, that would be good for them. You've been there. You know what I mean. And those of us who are fathers or grandfathers are more often the crime than the victim on this one. We don't really do anything at all, but somehow we seem to cause lots of consternation to those who love us or at least those who feel compelled to give us a gift of some sort. What do you give them? I'm not sure just when we become that person that's hard to buy for. You know, when we're little, we bubble over with wants and we're easy to please, it seems. But by the time our own children are old enough to notice, life has turned around. And really, it's for the better, isn't it? Isn't it? Because somewhere along the way, we have begun to discover a something of what Christ teaches us, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That as good as it is to get what we want, it is even better to give good gifts to those we love. This is part of the glory of being a parent or a grandparent, as I'm discovering. We get to be the givers the source of blessing to those that we love even more than they can know. But as true as all that is, we still have that dilemma, don't we? Because we still have people that we want to give to who are the givers. What can you give the giver? What do you offer the one who seems to have it all? In a sense, that's exactly what this psalm is about, Psalm 50. I suspect you've never connected this psalm to Christmas before and that you've never heard a Christmas sermon on it. Although, you know, to be fair, your other option was Jonah 4, <laughs> which is not exactly the sermon that you were likely to expect anyway. Well, this psalm gets at what do you give the giver? What can you give the one who has it all? And I think for that reason alone, it's a very fitting psalm for us to think about this morning. 
Look at it with me, and I think you'll begin to see what I mean. Here we have God, the Mighty One, whose glory radiates out of Zion, the perfection of beauty. His presence is terrifyingly awesome, and it commands respect. And he's coming into the world, and he's summoning his people before him, his children. He's gathering them to himself. It's almost like a Christmas scene, except... He's got something to say to them, and to us too, really. And it's a rebuke, a rebuke that they needed to hear and that we also need to hear because too often we get something very important very wrong. They've been worshiping God like pagans. They give gifts. They give lots of gifts. They give expensive gifts. They give gifts on every occasion to give gifts. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, God tells them. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. But they give their gifts as if God needed these things, perhaps. Could be benefited by them. As if they could help him out or enrich him through these gifts in some way. Maybe even make him their debtors so that they might put him into position to win favors from him or maybe even manipulate him. They've forgotten who they are worshiping. They worship, they worship, but they do not worship rightly because they forget the one that they are worshiping. That our God is the Lord, the mighty one, the radiance of his glory fills the world that he commands creation and rules the nations and speaks a word, and it is so. He is God, and he owns a cattle, the cattle on a thousand hills and the birds that nest on them and the animals of their fields of those hills and, and the hills themselves. How can we ever forget and begin to think that we can give him anything that he does not already have or that he needs or wants in any way at all. But friends and brothers and sisters, this goes deep. This goes all the way down because it's not just our gifts, our bulls and our goats he doesn't need. He does not even need our obedience. He does not even need our worship. He is all glorious in himself. He does not need us in any way at all. And we need to let that sink in in order to worship him rightly. It's a sobering thought. Here we are, the brave who have gathered together in the wind and the snow and the cold to worship him today, to worship the living God. And here's God himself telling us he doesn't need our worship. So what are we doing here? Why did we even bother? Why did we come out in, these, in this weather and, and in, on, on these roads? The problem is we forget our God. And when we forget our God, we forget why we're here. What it is we're doing when we gather together. When we forget our God, we forget that he is the Lord and the giver of life itself of the summer sun and, yes, the winter snow and everything else that is good and beautiful and true. 
And if Christmas is anything at all, it is a reminder that our God is a God of grace. A God who knows how to give good gifts to those he loves and delights in giving those gifts. That he loves us, so loves us, that he's given his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to us and for us, for our salvation. We forget that he needs nothing at all from us, is in want of nothing from us or anyone else, and would not even bother to tell us if he was. We forget in our living and in our doing, if not, you know, you might ask us and we might get the answer right, but then we live and we do as though we don't believe it, as though we don't know it, and we worship as if we have forgotten everything we have been taught. As if he's not the creator of all things, the one who sustains all things by the word of his power. As if he's not the one on whom everything depends and that he himself depends on nothing and no one else at all. And we are here this morning in part to be reminded of this. To be reminded of who our God is and that we are utterly dependent on him. We are the dependent ones. And that he is the all-sufficient one. It's just when we forget this that we begin to get things backwards. That we begin to think to ourselves, perhaps we can give him something. Maybe even impress him in some way. I guess by regifting to him the gifts he's given to us. That usually doesn't impress very much, but... But we begin to think in those terms as if we can do some favor for him that would indebt him to us. And here's the real kicker to that way of thinking. We begin to think that perhaps we need to do those kinds of things to soften him up in some way, to make him more inclined to like us or to bless us, to make him willing, perhaps, to strike some sort of deal with us. If, if you do this for me, God, then then I'll do that for you. But that way of thinking is an offense to our God. That's what he's telling us here in this psalm. First, for all the reasons that I've been outlining, God does not need our gifts or our service. And he will not accept anything offered to him on that premise because it is beneath him, it is demeaning to him, it is not according to who he is, the divine reality. We are not doing favors for him or paying out or buying off his favors to us. I am your God, and I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness are mine. Worship offered on those premises, on those terms, does not honor him because it's not according to who he is. And it actually offends him. It's unacceptable. We must humble ourselves before him. Accept our dependency and acknowledge his sufficiency. He is the giver. We are the receivers. He is the benefactor and we are the beneficiaries. And this can never, ever be upended or reversed. No matter how much you try to give, and no matter how precious those gifts might be, up to your very life, God will never be your debtor. 
He'll never be indebted to us in return for things that we have done to need anything from us or to owe us anything in return. In that way, God is very different from us, isn't he? It's part of the glory of being a parent or a grandparent to be the giver, to have some taste of what that blessing is, to to be the one who gives, which is even greater than the blessing of being the one who receives. But we grow older and weaker and needier with years, and we become dependent on others over time, and we can put all that down to the ravishes of sin. But our God is not vulnerable to the ravages of sin. He does not grow weary or weak or needy with age. Our God is constant, unflagging, and ever almighty. And the direction of dependence never turns around and can never be reversed, not even for an instant. He is always the source, the gift giver, and we are always the receivers, even the needy. But the offense of all this goes deeper still. Because God is no reluctant giver. And when people begin to worship like pagans, when they fall into that pattern of thinking that I can do for God and maybe he'll do for me, that, that if I do this and this, then maybe he'll, he'll be inclined to be favorable towards me, we are we're missing it all together. We don't yet know him or understand him. He is no reluctant giver. He is the God of grace. And this is at the very heart of Christmas, isn't it? To us, a child is given, a son is given. The baby in the manger is God's gift to us. The gift of this child also assures us that with him he has given us all things. Think about Paul's comment for a second. How shall he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. In Jesus Christ, we are given a Savior. And wrapped in those swaddling clothes is salvation itself. The gift of new spiritual life, the forgiveness of sins, perfect righteousness, and the perfect satisfaction of the judgment that our sins deserve before God. In him, we have the gift of adoption, the right to be called children of God and of being co-heirs with Christ of all things, even of the glory that he now enjoys above and of the rule that he now exercises on his messianic throne. And in him, in Christ, we are sanctified and we are glorified. Our God gives And he gives openly and freely and deeply and abundantly and fully. This child is, even as he lies in the manger, the very wisdom of God and the source of eternal life and the hope of glory and the joy of our salvation. He is the gift of God to us and for us. Given to us, we should note, while we were still dead in our sin. Given to us when we were without God and without hope in this world, and still his enemies in our minds and in our hearts. Our God does not need you to twist his arm into giving good gifts. 
And his word to us in Christ is right here in this psalm. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And again, to the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Our God is not a reluctant giver, whose blessings must be wrung out of his clenched fist, bought at the price of our sacrifices and our obedience. Our God is a good and merciful and gracious God who loves us with a pure and eternal love. He delights in giving good gifts to his children. And he has ordered everything for us and for our salvation from creation to the commands that he has given us to the cross of Christ itself and the consummation of all things. In and through it all, he is working out our eternal happiness that we might know him and enjoy him fully forever. Because the greatest gift that he's given us here in Christmas and, and that he will give us throughout all of eternity to come is the gift of himself, the most precious thing of all that we might know him and enjoy him, the all-glorious one whose radiance shines from Zion, the perfection of beauty, and is embodied in the Son of Mary, who is the Son of God. So how do you order your way rightly before him? How do we do this? First, we remember who he is, who he tells us that he is everywhere throughout the scriptures the God who is sufficient for us in every way and on every occasion and in every circumstance, the God of saving grace. We remember that salvation belongs to him as we've been reminded out of Jonah, and it belongs to no one else, and that he is willing and able to save us and promises to save everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ his gift to us. This is how we glorify him as our all-sufficient Savior. We call upon him. We cast ourselves completely onto his saving grace and into his almighty arms. That's how we order our way rightly. That's how we glorify him. Secondly, we thank him. What do you give the one who's the giver? and needs nothing in return. In fact, that you can't even give anything in return to. You thank him. You offer yourself up, body and soul, as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. There's no other, there's no other response to grace that is fitting, that is, that is appropriate. For the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice, God tells us, glorifies me. How else do we respond to the God of grace and to his matchless gift of a Savior and the assurance in him of everything good and beautiful and true throughout the endless age to come? This is what we give the giver. The only thing we have to give the only thing worthy of the gift that he has given, which we can offer. 
to offer ourselves up in gratitude, in thanksgiving. That is the spirit of worship that is acceptable in his sight. May the grace of God so enrapture us, not only this Christmas season, but each day anew, that we are overcome with gratitude, with the spirit of thanksgiving, a spirit that overflows in ceaseless praise and joyful obedience as we delight ourselves here and now in the knowledge of his love for us, the perfection of beauty and the gift of his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord our God, instruct us each day, anew each morning, and how to live for you. How to offer ourselves up as a living and acceptable sacrifice. How to worship you in a way that is acceptable in your sight. Fill us, we pray, by your spirit and through a knowledge of your grace for us in Jesus Christ with hearts that break open in thanksgiving and praise in this life which is the foretaste of the endless age to come. We ask this in Christ's name and to the praise of his glory. Amen. Please stand and let's sing our hymns of response. <laughs>